RadioInfluence.com. The future is now. Welcome to America's Most Positive Podcast, The Jim Fannin Show. Be it life, business, sports, or any other facet of your life that you want to improve, Jim can help you become your best, most authentic self. Now, here is your host, the coach of champions, Jim Fannin. Hello, everybody. I'm Jim Fannin. Welcome to The Jim Fannin Show. I am excited to be here today. It's August 1st. August 1st. Time is flying. So how you doing? How are you? How have you been? How was the month of July? Have you performed in the zone? Have you been in the zone? You played some great subpar rounds of golf, had some great vacations, uh, uh, opened up a new business. How was July? Because July, we can learn from it and we can take some positive things from July and we can plug it right into the best month ever, August. Did you eliminate negative thinking last month? 2,000 thoughts a day times 31. That's a lot of thoughts. 2,000 thoughts a day. Hopefully you have less. When you're clicking all cylinders, you'll have 30, 40% less thoughts. But the average person has 2,000 thoughts. Not to be confused with impressions. It's a thought about the weather, not that the cloud is gray and the wind's blowing 12 miles an hour. 2,000 thoughts times 31 is how many thoughts that you had in July. What if you had all those back and you had the knowledge of July? What could you do differently? Well, let's do that. August is a big month. It's a transition uh, away from summer, unfortunately. Uh, As we get into fall, sports start up in the fall. A lot of high school sports, college sports, football, NFL is here There's still golf, U.S. Open, tennis at the end of the month and uh, Labor Day into uh, early part of September, U.S. Open tennis. But do you have a blueprint for your best August ever? August is a big deal for me because August 12th, 2020, a little over a year from now, a year and 12 days, my best friend died. And I told this story before. I'm 15. He's 16. He has Hodgkin's. Uh, We both had uh, lymph nodes biopsied. Both sets of parents are very concerned about both Brian Judd and I, uh, our wellness. And unfortunately, he has Hodgkin's and I was free of cancer. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why he had cancer. I don't know why I didn't have cancer, but he dies. And on the day that he died, which was actually November the 8th, 1965, I made a pledge, and I pulled a number just out of the air. I'm going to have 20,000 consecutive days because I believe that I heard, and I, I know that I heard this, although it could have been imagined. I don't think so. Laugh every day. Never have a bad day again. So to honor my best friend, uh, I will embark... Uh, on doing that for Brian Judd because I've got about a year to go to hit that 20,000 consecutive positive days. That doesn't mean I haven't had hardship in those 20,000 days or things that that I didn't want, things that uh, I didn't want to happen and things that happened to people that I love and cared about. Yes, a lot happened and not all of it was good, but I had a lot of great days and I had all good days. They were all positive. So let's talk about July because I know this August, starting today, I know you can go one month with extreme positivity. You can do it. I can do it. You can do it. I know that you can do this. You'll have to catch yourself. And if you have a great life partner, uh, they'll be able to remind you if you give them permission so you don't get mad at them. Can you go 31 days of thinking positive, only going into the future, only for planning, plan uh, that last getaway vacation with your significant other, and you probably need to do that before school starts, just you and your significant other, you probably need a little getaway, and then after August, boy, September falls here, Q4's around the corner, next thing you know, it's winter, and it's 2020, 2020, so what have you learned about you 
for July. Did you reach a performance standard, a minimum requirement for as a solid month? Not great, not bad, solid. Did you reach a performance standard in your primary arena, your business arena, your personal finance arena, in all aspects of your life? And which part of the score system, self-discipline, concentration, optimism, relaxation, and enjoyment, which one of those five markers that once they're balanced and stable at a high level, that zone arrives when you will have a great month staying in it 31 days. But which component, self-discipline, concentration, optimism, relaxation, and enjoyment, which one was the lowest? Were you stressed out in July? Did you do the roller coaster ride on the news cycle? Uh, that'll get you bummed out. That'll cause your R level, your relaxation level, definitely to plummet. And which score component was highest? Were you disciplined? Were you focused? Were you confident? Were you cool, calm, and relaxed, even in the heat? Do you need to be more aggressive? And which arena of your life do you need to be more aggressive? Which one do you need to be back off a little bit, pull off the, uh, the accelerator? And did you have routines? And if you did, were they consistent? What part of July, if any, did you attract that purposeful, calm feeling of the zone? And did you, you know, July's one-twelfth of you reaching your 2019 vision and goals. Did you reach your objectives for the month? And did you visualize your master vision for the whole year, the one for your primary arena? Not your most important necessarily, but the one you spend an inordinate amount of time, energy, maybe even money, and definitely uh, sometimes some anguish. You know, that's typically your business arena. Were you the best prepared in July that you could be? There are no do-overs. You, you are aware of that. And if you could rate your performance as either a coach or a player in all of these different arenas, you can be a coach in one, a player in another, or a co-coach in a parenting arena, how would you rate yourself? Would you give yourself an A, a B, a C, C minus? Would you give yourself an F? And, and if things didn't go well, why was that? What were the score breakers or zone breakers? What were those external stimuli from the outside or maybe even your own internal thoughts? And were you good to you? Did you eat well? Did you drink less? Did you uh, uh, get a lot of rest? How did you treat you? And who did you influence positively? Who did you influence? So how was July and, of course, what are the takeaways from July? Because we got to close it. July's done. It's over as we embark on the greatest month ever, our month right now, upcoming August. You know, in our lives, simplicity is definitely something that's been missing for all of us. Uh, with the cell phone, with um, the news, you know, uh, we, we can see a war breaking out in real time. So news is coming at us fast. The Internet's coming fast. Uh, we're constantly, someone says a word I haven't heard. It. Next thing I know, I'm Googling it to find out not only what it means, how to pronounce it. And we're constantly learning. The Internet's right literally at our fingertips. But part of genius is simplicity. According to Martin E. Marty, uh, University of Chicago professor, one of America's foremost theologians and influential thinkers, here's what he says. And I agree wholeheartedly. Successful living is a journey towards simplicity and a triumph over confusion. A triumph over confusion. You know, most of us definitely think too much. We go into the past too much. Uh, we replay negatives too much. And sometimes uh, I just got off a client call, and it was based about fear. Fear of failure, fear of success. Uh, this client was having both of those uh, fears, which is manufactured in the mind, but definitely is not performing right now uh, with simplicity and has not triumphed right this second over confusion, but he will. The toughest arenas in life that require the greatest performances, it's not the Masters, it's not the, the Open, the Olympics, or or the Super Bowl. The arenas 
that demand the highest standards of human effort. These are our daily life arenas, our self arena. That's just you. It's just you. And it's about your nutrition. You govern what goes in your stomach and what you eat, what you drink, how much sleep you want. Don't blame that on something else. Don't say the tail's wagging the dog here and and I don't have control. You do have control. You have free will. And even though you may be putting in long hours, you can still govern your mind. But these arenas of self, that's your wellness. That's mental, physical wellness. Then you have your relationships, your significant other. You may be a mom. You may be a dad. That's a totally different arena. That's a tough one. And you have friends. Maybe you don't get to spend as much time with them, but they're your friends. You have personal finance, change in your pocket, equity in your house, 401k, stock market. And then you have your profession. Of course, you're a sibling. You're a son also or a daughter, mom and dad. These life arenas, we talked about them in our last show, they contain all your thoughts, all your daily thoughts. They're housed inside these separate, intangible life arenas. They are arenas of a particular sphere of interest that stand alone, they stand separate, and they're independent. And when you can think like this, independent, while I'm in my self arena, just my wife and I right now, standalone, it's just her and I, my friends, that's different, different arena. My personal finance, I'm thinking about money. I'm thinking about bills. I'm thinking about uh, my budget. How am I doing? I'm planning. And then, you know, my career. These life arenas, this is your life. And the 2,000 thoughts you may have, and you may go all month of August, extreme positivity. You did it. You're going to see a lot of things change. But just know those thoughts are not in one giant bullion base. They are separate in each of these life arenas. And these life arenas, well, it's simple, this concept, but there is some complexity. Each one of them has a vision, hopefully well-defined, something that you would like to do at a point in time in the future. And in order to do that, whatever that vision is, whatever that dream is, it needs corresponding stepping stone goals, and then it needs tasks, little units of work. That's your to-do list of making those goals complete, and then you go all the way to the vision. But there's more than that. Successful life arenas have a mission statement. Like, what's the point? You got to have a mission. I got a vision, but why am I doing it? And there's philosophies of how you're going to act and interact, and there's objectives. And and then I have principles. There are certain principles I'm going to adhere to no matter what. I'm going to be as blunt as a hammer to the head. That's a principle. I'm going to tell it like it is. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Maybe that ruffles a few feathers, but those are my principles. Each one of your arenas have these. Also, there are key people. These are people, could be a wife, could be a friend, could be a coworker, could be a boss, could be a direct report, could be my sales team as I'm the national sales manager. Key people. Most of us have no more than 50 key people. A key person could be in more than one arena, but each one of these people, some we've chosen, some we didn't choose, didn't choose our parents, these key people can positively or negatively influence your thoughts and your overall levels of self-discipline, concentration, optimism, relaxation, and enjoyment. Yes, we can immunize ourselves from them. Yes, we can do our best to make them better, help them rise to an another higher place. We can avoid them. We can delete them. It's not easy to delete mom and dad, but these are the key people. And the ones we've chosen, why did we choose them? Why did we choose them? Maybe they chose us. Do they make us better? Do we learn from them? Or do we just laugh with them? Or do we have drama with them? Do we go into the past with them? Do we go into the future with them? Do we stay out of the moment 
with them. The common denominator for all of these arena and all these arena interaction, it's your attitude. And your attitude dictates each one of these arena performances. And I know there's a tendency to overlap and engulf many arenas at once. That's how the average person does it. We also know the performance in one life arena can impact the other performances in your other arenas. Now, the role that you have in each of these arenas is either one or a few things. You're a player in the arena. It's a person that's not a manager, not a coach, not a boss, not a leader. I'm a performer. I'm a player. Then there's a coach in almost every arena. Some arenas, there are co-coaches, and you can be a coach in one arena, like at work, where I have a team that I coach and manage and mentor and lead, and then I can go with my siblings, and I'm the baby, so I'll let Martha be the coach. She's going to be the coach anyway. That's, that's, that's my big sister. So every arena is different, but in each arena, you need to know your responsibility for that arena. You need to know your accountability, and you need to know your authority of what you can say, not say, or shouldn't say. And you, you need to know these three things, responsibility, accountability, and authority, as you interact with everybody else in that arena. As we embark on August, a new month, as we go well into the second half of this year, we need to prepare to enter each arena with a fresh new attitude every time. So understand your arenas, recognize your role, and of course, when you're in there, you're performing as a dad, as a brother, as a son, as a boss, as a worker. Give each performance in these arenas great thought, great passion, great energy, but keep your arenas separate, keep them balanced. Open one, close the other. So let's talk about a few people in these arenas. You know, every life arena does contain one coach, co-coaches, group of active players, sometimes even spectators. But players, they're active arena performers. Successful players are individuals who understand the objectives and the rules of the arena. Our kids don't understand the objectives and rules of the family arena, but they will. Hopefully, by the time they leave the house at 21 or 22 or 25, hopefully not 30, players participate with passion and enthusiasm. They definitely understand their role within the team concept, and they execute the fundamentals of the arena. They adhere to the principles and philosophies of the coach or the team, and they can blend. They're an integral part of something greater than themselves. That's how the great player feels. And, of course, when that happens, they receive the fruits of their labor through all kinds of forms of compensation, money, satisfaction, confidence, security, status, players. So why do players become great? And, again, I'm using players as just someone in your arena. Um, Let's take your entire family arena. There's probably a head of the family, and everybody else is a player at work. There's a boss. Everybody else is a player. They're playing the game. So I ask 100 champions. These were athletes. Why are you great? Here's what I ascertain. They compete with themselves, and they'll do anything to beat themselves. What does that mean? They're always improving. They're constantly learning. The great player is a great student. They have well-defined goals. They're very clear yet they're very ambitious. They believe in results, but more importantly, they expect it. They expect positive results. They have an absolute will to give their maximum, and they have an absolute demand from themselves. They're independent. They take responsibility seriously. They're team-oriented. They're dependable, and they're loyal And they have a take-charge personality, especially in a crisis. They're proficient at executing the basics of that arena. And they hone the arena fundamentals through tireless repetition. 
and consistently they're reaching high daily standards of performance and they always reach peak performance during moments of truth when the money is on the table. And the great player, the successful one, they're the best prepared in the arena. And then we have coaches. You're a coach. You coach your kids. You coach your husband. You coach your wife. They're coaching back. Your co-coaches in that arena. Your parents coached you, but now you wake up and you're like, oh, my goodness, Dad, you should not be driving. Oh, my goodness. I need a helmet in the passenger seat. Yeah, now you're coaching mom. You're coaching dad. Every arena needs a coach. This person acts as a guide, a leader for the positive benefit of the entire arena team. And you're a coach, I'm sure, in many arenas of your life. Successful coaches build teams, and they build individuals into winners. Here's how they do it. They motivate, inspire players to perform at a high daily standard. That's a, that's a tough, top coach. They administrate the team within the team mission statement, and they have a mission statement, the purpose of the arena. They manage the team toward objectives within the team principles, philosophies, and guidelines, and they understand and communicate the roles of each player. There's no misunderstanding. They know the strengths and the areas of growth of the team and each team member. They know it. Why do they know it? Because they study it and they want to know it because that helps the team. They utilize tactics and strategy and they do it at the right time and at the right place. And they teach and they reinforce the basics. They go over the basic fundamentals of that arena and they know the individual and the team zone formulas. Yeah, they know the weak link. They know what to bolster. They know what each person needs in terms of score because every player has a higher low level of self-discipline, concentration, optimism, relaxation, and enjoyment. And coaches are great listeners, and they act on players' requests, their desires, and especially their, their needs. And they know the zone. They know what it takes to be in the zone. And they're always preparing for adversity and possibility. You're a coach. Are you a great coach? I've been blessed to coach some great coaches. Doc Rivers of the Clippers. Doc, you're going to have an awesome year. I was texting with him. He's fired up. Hopefully he's playing a little bit of golf so he can sharpen his axe. He's got a roster that will be competing for the NBA crown. I've coached some great coaches in tennis, in golf, and in business. So why are coaches great? I've asked great coaches, why are you so great? Here's what I found out. The coach, whether it's man or woman, gives challenges in a way that I can perform at my best. These were my great coaches. They gave me challenges in a way that I could perform my best. The coaches I had, they were positive role models. They had confidence. They had optimism. And they gave me reasons for instructions and procedures that I needed to follow. They just didn't arbitrarily say, do this, do that. They told me why. That made me feel important. Coaches that were great, they helped my decisions, uh, my own decisions, based on something we agreed upon. We would agree on strategy or tactics. My coach cared about me. He cared about how I was doing. It wasn't important for him to stand out. And he never let me give, give up. Never. And the great coach won't. Success is getting up one more time. Great coach gives advice in a direct fashion, especially when somebody's learning something new. Great coach can involve himself or herself and put themselves in the position of the player. They're definite. They're just. They're result-oriented. And many times, the great coach Let's people work out their own challenges, but they give them support, but figure it out, they say. The other thing I know about a great coach, they let you know where you stand. I'm coaching some players in the minor leagues. I'm not going to bash a couple of uh, the affiliates. Gosh, I want to. I really want to spill the beans. Uh, there, There is a minor league system in baseball, 
Uh, I have no clue about how what they're thinking, but uh, they don't tell their employees anything. They don't let them know where they stand. They don't tell them what they need to do. It is unbelievable. Uh, but that's minor league baseball. <laughs> that's another another podcast at another day. You know, great coaches are great listeners. They're easy to talk with. They're honest. They keep their promises, and they get the team to work toward team goals. And the great coach, he works harder than anyone else. He's proud of his team. He gives positive feedback. You know what else? They never say, I told you so. Not a great coach. They're straightforward. They they practice the open door policy. They inspire their players toward team loyalty. He also wants to hear what his coaches, his associates, and the players, their ideas. He's open. It's not my way or the highway. Great coaches show that they value success. They're open, honest, and they don't hide negative news. Here's the deal. Here's what's going on. They confront it. They're obviously positive. They're consistent. They're motivational, but they're patient. They never say I. They always say we. They have a stabilizing effect when there's a crisis. They act swiftly, and they're decisive, especially when they're under duress or pressure. They're always there when you need them. And a great coach will think of new ways to get you to be more productive or the team to be more productive or to get you to focus on one aspect that you could fix. They come early, they leave late. They're tough, and they dare to choose the confrontational line if they need to. And they do have the ability and the skill to delegate. Great coaches can take blame while giving credit to others, and they also resolve conflict, and they do it swiftly. You never hear conflict. They keep it under wraps, the great coach. They also know when and how to fire people. That's a defining moment in an organization when someone's let go. It really defines the character, uh, uh, the principles of the company as a whole. When you have to fire somebody, you failed because you hired them poorly or you trained them poorly, one or the other. The great coach looks in the mirror and understands what happened. But he looks at problems as challenges. He looks at those things as possibilities. But he's always delivering passion every day. Even though he's repetitious in his teachings, and I had a coach that went over and over and over. However, repetition in teaching, you can still vary your delivery. And that, that, that made it fresh each time. And they always surround themselves with great, positive associates. The great coach does not overcoach. She believes less is more. And this coach coaches in the now, the present tense, according to a well-thought-out blueprint. Are you a great coach? Take some of these nuggets Embed them in your coaching style. And where do you need to use them? Which arena in your life are you the coach? Are you guiding your siblings? Are you guiding your parents? Are you guiding or co-guiding your children? Are you the boss at work? Are you the best coach you can be? In August, we got 31 days to rock this thing. We can do it. You're either a coach, a player could be a spectator, but who wants to be a spectator? We need some action. List your major life arenas, no more than 10, your self arena, your son or daughter, personal finance, career, friends, parents, siblings, significant other. Hold up a minute. Hold up. Hold up. I have a golf tip coming in. Little segue, golf tip du jour. This is only for golfers, so everybody else just hang out. If you're getting ready to walk up to the green and you're going to putt, you got a putter, in your hand, take off your gloves, smack your hands three or four times. If it's cold outside, which it's not right now in this heat wave, but if it was, you'd clap your hands pretty loud. Just clap them, smack them, rub them together like you're cracking a safe. The blood will come up to the fingertips, and now you'll feel the club a lot better. And I know we're not going to use wrists. We're not going to use our hands. We're going to let the putting stroke really Put roll the ball online into the cup, 
but you want to have some feel. As you walk up to the green, you know where your ball is. And as you're walking to the ball, be careful not to step on anyone's line, but put your energy to a toothpick-sized target inside the cup as you walk toward your ball. Keep your eye focused on what you want and where you want the ball to go. And then as you get to the ball, you can lift and clean it, and then you can go through your routine when it's your time to putt. But if you'll do this process, the first thing that's going to happen is when you get to the ball, go to the cup, come back to the ball, go to the cup one more time mentally, come back to the ball. 60-70% of the people that do this with their jaw unhinged in a relaxed state, a line will appear. The subconscious will pull the correct line and lay it right on the green for you. So try it. Let me go through it one more time. Clap your hands, rub them together. As you're going up to address the ball, go to your ball. You got your energy going into a toothpick-sized target inside the cup. Hold it until you get to the ball. Look at the target, back to your ball, to the target, back to the ball with your jaw hinged, a line will appear. See if that works for you. Little tip du jour. Now, I know everyone has some friends, and so since your friends are in the arena, let's change gears to that arena. I want you to list 10 friends on a sheet of paper. If you only have five, probably put down five. Hopefully you got five. 10 friends, put a plus or a minus under each component of score. So write the word S-C-O-R-E across the top. Write your friend's name or initials down the left side. And for self-discipline, for friend number one, do they help your discipline or not? Or do they take you off your game because they want to party hardy? Well, if that's the case, give them a minus. How do they help your focus? Well, if they're negative with your discipline, they're probably negative with your focus. So you got two minuses. How about optimism? Yeah, they make me feel better. Uh, I'm more confident because they're goofy and I'm not. So maybe that's a plus. How do they impact your relaxation? I love being with them. I have so much fun. I'm so chilled. Put a positive. How about your enjoyment? Give them a plus. Rate each one of your friends. And now you're going to have an understanding how they're influencing you. Your friends are influencers. They're typically the mirror image of you. Mom's right. Be careful who you hang out with. Birds of a feather flock together. You don't like your friends. Look in the mirror. All right, that's one of your homework assignments before this day is done. List your friends and ascertain how they're doing, helping you with your score level. Now let's talk about something I think is pretty serious in this country. How do you change this country? How do we help with all the negativity, all the drama, all the uncertainty, all the chaos, all the confusion? How do we do that? I I think we need to be better parents. That's the long game. That's not the short game. I'm not going to change the world by coaching my daughter for six months. It's not going to change the world. But I can be an influencer of thought. I can help her be the best that she can be. And then she can influence 20 people, 40 people. Maybe she runs for office. Who knows? Are you the best parent that you can be? Think back with your mom or dad. You learned quite a bit. Acorns don't fall far from the tree. Did you have zone moments? I I remember this like it was yesterday. It's the bottom of the last inning. I'm in Little League. Boys on second and third. I'm at the plate. My dad anxiously watching as the pitcher starts his windup. Time stood still. It's like yesterday. And with the crack of my bat, the ball darted into the outfield, and instantly my teammates knew that we just won the game. I had a game-winning walk-off hit. My first ever clutch performance. So my team swarmed their new hero, me. At that moment, I locked eyes with my dad. It didn't last long. It was seconds. But I saw the pride on his face, and We shared this zone moment together, frozen in time. I I can still see his smile. We went over the game many times throughout the years because he brought it up. He loved to tell the story to anybody that would listen. But how many moments of truth did my father and I share? How many zone moments with my father would etch our memories with indelible ink? Not enough. Never 
never enough. That zone, that exact moment you perform with complete detachment from the possibility of failure. Our parents want that for us so much. They want that for us. They want us to be excellent, just like we want our kids to be excellent. We take pictures, we take video of every one of our child's events. Events, not just sports. We memorialize their actions, their interactions, but we especially want to capture the zone moments. Those are the ones that last over time. But do we really have the special alone moments that last the test of time? That's the question. You know, watching our kids perform, that's not always for the faint of heart. We've got no control. He or she's either prepared, they're either ready to play or perform or not. There's always something to learn. And I think a lot of times the lessons get lost in the winning and the losing. We got August coming up. We got season ending golf tournaments. We've got tennis tournaments. We got fall season coming. We got soccer. We got football. You know, one of the first lessons we learn in sports is about adversity. That's a tough one. Adversity introduces you to yourself. You know, when the moment of truth arrives, that adversity looks you in the eye and the next move dictates the outcome. Do you blink? Are you calm? Are you cool? Are you focused? We want our kids to be ready for this, right? Don't we? They alone must face it. It may take them 30 times or 30 years to finally figure out how to handle it. Well, this depends a little bit on you. Are you aware of the other parents in the stands? Does what they think about your kid's performance really matter? Of course, it doesn't matter, but does it? Yet we still struggle to breathe deeply when our kids perform. And then there's shoulda, coulda, woulda. You know these three, these three imposters. They're cousins. They're in every locker room in the world. They're always there for comfort. They give me an excuse for my little diminutive offspring anyone with an earshot. Well, it could have gone in. It would have gone in, but I got a bad call. These imposters, they're everywhere. It includes the pros. Have you helped your kid be his or her best prepared? Are they armed with swift tools to make adjustments? Are they decision makers, especially when things aren't going their way? And is there a consistent, non-emotional evaluation that defies the victim and judge in all of us. You know, sports has many lessons for our kids, but likewise, watching our kids compete, that presents many lessons for us. We're supposed to be the influencer of thought, so think about what you say and do. They're learning. They're like sponges. Acorns don't fall far from the tree. All right, let me give you a few tips. This is from coaching so many athletes, so many players, but also so many moms and dads. And I'm all for mom, dad, us being our genuine, authentic best self. We want to change the world. It starts right here, from the mirror in my bathroom to the curb out front. Here's some tips of being the best coach as a parent. First of all, no instructions within 15 minutes of any performance. What? I can't talk to my kid 15 minutes before? Seriously? Your kid is either ready or they're not. Let them find their purposeful, calm zone space. They got to find it. They must find it. They got to get their mind straight, their mind clear to attract the zone. Pressure's there. So whatever you say in the last 15 minutes before performance, it's not going to have a positive impact. It may take them time to find it, but when they do, and they find that calm on their own, Their confidence is going to soar. No instructions 15 minutes before any performance. When your kid commits to a sport, they are now responsible and accountable for managing the time before, during, and after a performance. Make this clear. It depends on their age. They may need your guidance if they're five, six, seven. However, You start doing everything for them, this is going to delay their much-needed self-discipline. I told my daughter before a tennis tournament, an hour away from our home, and and she's playing on the junior tennis circuit. Are you ready? Did you prepare everything? You got food, you got clothes, you got rack, everything's ready? Yes? Okay. We'd done this many times. This wasn't the first rodeo. 
but it's just a little reminder, and that's it. Next morning, early, we're in the car. We get there one hour later, and she gets out of the car, and she gives me a look. I can still see it. I still see the look. Dad. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Yes, I left my rackets. Excuse me? You're 15. You left your rackets? Who does that? Not a champion. You left your rackets. Okay. So what are you going to do? Will you go back and get them? Absolutely not. Now, how many parents would look at the watch? What time do they play? I could, we could make it. No. Well, what do I do? I don't know. Figure it out. Well, she wound up barring a friend's racket and luckily won the match with someone else's racket. Make a decision. You are responsible and accountable for managing the time before your tennis match, during your tennis match, and after the match. Turning our kids into world-class decision makers is going to change the world. All parents, we need to get on board with this. Let your kid know they have free will to think any thought, and if they don't like their performance or don't like how they feel, they can change how they think. And dad, mom, you got to breathe during all these events. Unhinge your jaw, be present, and deep breathe. I know it's tough watching. Don't mentally replay a bad play or a call. What's done is done. Next is the battle cry of the champion. Continue breathing. No profanity, no anger, no negativity. I'm not sure this really needs to be on the list, but it's on the list. No put-downs of the competition, mom, dad. Your child's team members, don't put them down the coach. No, we don't do that. None. None. And if you're a part of the evaluation after the event, then evaluate first with what was positive, then approach the challenges, and learning increases when evaluations are expected, consistent, non-emotional, and to the point, and let them take the lead in the evaluation. And, and if they have never evaluated, well, and they're young, you take the lead. You got to treat winning, losing the same. The evaluation is about learning, and then you're done. Poor sportsmanship, not tolerated, period, but that not only includes your kid, it includes you. And if you feel embarrassment for your kid's performance, well, that's when you need to check your ego at the door. It's not about you. It's not about you. This is about them meeting confrontation and how they handle it, not how you handle it. And when your kid starts looking for you in the stands during the event, just know that their energy is better placed on the field, on the court, on the course, wherever they are. The best mentality, stay inside the lines. And the ones that have played sports, you know this. Stay inside the lines. What does that mean? That means focus on the task at hand. If you're looking in the stands, what are you looking for? Help? There's no help. Tennis, there's no coaching. Other sports, I know you can yell. Stay inside the lines. You need to help your kid with this. You'll help their concentration and you won't be the zone breaker because they're looking up at you after every point, after every play, or after every striking of the ball. Gossip, rumor, hearsay at practices, games, avoid it. Don't even go there. It's not worth it. Ask questions of your kid about how they felt, what they thought. But just know this. Well, here's a great question, though. If you could play the event over, what would you do differently, if anything? And if they don't want to talk about it, don't. But just know that sometimes when an athlete is in the zone or under intense pressure, they can't remember everything that happened. They might even be unsure what they thought. So when you're under stress, you might even miss the obvious tactic. It's obvious. Just remember this when you're asking those probing questions, and uh, they don't give you the answer that you expect. As a coach, your past sports exploits, they're the past. They might apply to today's game, but enough already. Okay? Enough. I learned that the hard way. Enough. No victim or judge statements from you or your kid. As John McEnroe told me once, excuses are for losers. He's right. The biggest challenge you're going to have as a coach of your kids is expectations don't 
always meet reality. Just be there in a positive way when this happens, and it's going to happen frequently. Raising their chin high and focusing on what's next, well, that's your kid's best move for sure. Hire the best coaches possible. Research them thoroughly. Monitor their teachings. And just remember one thing. Love conquers all, especially if you have a teenager. You may have to remind yourself, love conquers all. And savor the good times, the alone one-on-one times, and the tough lessons learned. These are memories that you'll cherish forever. Is it easy coaching, training, watching, observing, or managing your son or daughter's performance in sports? No, no. This time's going to pass swiftly. It'll go by in a blink of an eye for August. Savor it. Relax the best you can. Enjoy the moment. When I turned 17, my dad said to me as I walked out the door, I was going to play in the state tennis championship, and I remember it as yesterday. Jimmy, what you have is enough. Enjoy the fight. I can't wait to hear about it. Yeah, we didn't have enough money for mom and dad to go to the state tournament. I hitchhiked round trip 256 miles. Uh, don't do that today. And I was housed with a local family at the tournament. My parents loved me, win or lose. They believed in me, win or lose. And I always felt their presence with every match. They trained me to be a decision maker. They let me be me. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. Help your kid be their genuine, authentic best self. And now let's go to the Zone Cafe. Now, this is one of my favorite things. So you're driving up in your car, and you're going to order one thing on the menu, although we have five, and they're all cooking. We got self-discipline, the willingness, the commitment to stay with the task, to reach a uh, well-defined goal that takes you to a vision. We got that. We got plenty of discipline. But maybe you need some focus. You need some concentration. Well, we got a batch of that. We're cooked up here also. That's focusing energy, mental physical on the task at hand. But maybe maybe you're seeking some confidence. You know, maybe you've had some self-doubt. Maybe August is bringing up some challenges you, you didn't want to talk about. If you need optimism, uh, we got a bag of it back here. It's going to give you confidence, belief, expectancy. Your chin's going to be how you, you'll walk out six foot eight. And if you're six eight, you'll walk seven foot eight. But maybe you need to chill out. Maybe the summer's been tough. Maybe July was not your best month. Maybe you've got a daunting task for August. Well, I say slow down and relax. We've got a cool drink of relaxation, free from worry, free from anxiety, free from the need to do anything, breathing six to eight breaths a minute. Is that what you need? But maybe you need some enjoyment. The happy meal. That's the zone happy meal. You've got to love the challenge. You've got to love doing what you do. You've got to do what you what you love. So what are you ordering in the Zone Cafe? I am ramping up some self-discipline, and I've got some, but I'm going to ramp it up. I've got a big project. I'm looking forward to it. I know it's a daunting task, but uh, it is what it is. So uh, planning a little extra, and uh, that starts right now, day one, August. But I want to leave you with uh, a little poem that I wrote. So indulge with me. I hope it's apropos. It's called Slow Dance. Ever watch kids on a merry-go-round or listen to the rain slapping the ground? Ever follow a butterfly's erratic flight or gaze at the sun into the fading night? You better slow down. Don't dance so fast. Time is short. The music won't last. Do you run each day on the fly when you ask, how are you? Do you really hear their reply? When the day is done, do you lie in your bed with the next hundred chores running through your head? You better slow down. Don't dance so fast. Time is short. The music won't last. Ever told your kid we'll do it tomorrow and in your haste not seen their sorrow? Ever lost touch letting a friendship die because you never had time to call and say hi? You better slow down. Don't dance so fast. Time is short. The music won't last. Run fast to get somewhere. You miss the fun of getting there. When you worry and hurry through your day, it's like an unopened gift thrown away. 
Life is not a race. Do take it slower. Hear the music before the song is over. Slow down, everybody. Have a relaxed, chilled, but productive August. Five months to 2020. Be positive. 31 days of extreme positivity. We're going to rock August. I'm fired up. And until next week, be in the zone, everybody, because it's the only place to be. This has been America's Most Positive Podcast, The Jim Fannin Show. Get more of Jim's knowledge, experience, and tips, as well as what's coming up on the show now at jimfannon.com. And make sure to follow Jim on Twitter, at Jim Fannin. This has been The Jim Fannin Show on Radio Influence. This is a Crush Performance with Jeff Crushell Quick Fix on Radio Influence. But make no mistake, whether we're watching our professional heroes, sporting heroes on TV, or we're seeing them live on the Olympic international stage, these people are special. I'm not saying they're all good people. (laughs) We see it in the news, of course, but they're special people. And in my experiences, I can just say for me personally, the vast, vast, vast majority and virtually every athlete I've ever met at the highest level, they're, they're great people. They're great people in an, in an incredibly exceptional position that they've created for themselves. But when we look at what makes these people tick, um, they're special for a number of reasons. And one of them is their commitment to do the same thing day after day or chase down the dream relentlessly day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And speaking from personal experience myself, I just never had the mentality to to do it. And it's one of the reasons I think I respect all of these top performers so much because when I was a kid – I couldn't wait. I loved, couldn't wait for baseball season to start. But by the time it got to the end, man, I couldn't wait for it to end so we could start playing football in the fall. And then football season would come. We were fired up. When football season, I couldn't wait for hockey or volleyball or basketball to start. And so I'm one of those athletes that got really good at a lot of things, but I never, ever had the mentality to get great at one particular thing, if that makes sense. Crush Performance with Jeff Crushell can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.